Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Yeah, of course, during the conversation, I will bring up hey, I'm looking for a head of engineering. Do you know anything? Do you have any advice? Like, what have you thought of are the best characteristics for someone in that role? Like, it's a long-term kind of play, but I think the important thing is to be really upfront with your intention for the chat and to deliver on that in an authentic way and to not BS someone and say, hey, I want to network and then throw a job in their face and a job description. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. Networking can, in fact, be meaningful, authentic, and a critical source of leverage to help you achieve greater results as a leader. So what does it actually look like to build support in this way and to network effectively and authentically? In this episode, Yvette Pasqua, CTO at Exos, shares how she makes networking and community building authentic, personally meaningful, and helps her better address the challenges she's facing with her engineering org. We cover a couple great stories in our conversation. Yvette shares the tactics and strategies behind her head of engineering search without a recruiter. Spoiler, it involves authentic networking. We also get into what it's like leading a digital transformation at a company where technology hasn't historically been the primary focus. Let me introduce you to Yvette. Yvette is the CTO of Exos, where she leads the product and engineering teams with a focus on continuous improvement, iteration, and using data to launch products that help their members become healthier and achieve their wellness, life, and work goals. Prior to joining Exos, Yvette led product and engineering at Haven, a health technology startup, and was the CTO at Meetup. Yvette's career has included leadership roles at startups and product development firms, building products like Grindr. She's on the board at Chloe Capital, a VC firm that invests in women-led seed stage companies. Enjoy our conversation with Yvette Pasqua. To, I guess, transition our conversation, I just want to say welcome, Yvette. Thank you. I am super excited to be here and talk shop with you. I've been really excited to talk for, I know I was telling you about this earlier, but just so that everybody listening in can can be brought into the conversation. A couple themes brought up as possible topics, community and effective networking, becoming a cross-functional business leader and sort of digital transformation and becoming a digital first sort of company. The reason why I've been so excited is... ELC first started off as a meetup group. So a lot of this is we wouldn't be here without some of the work that you did at Meetup. Um, So part of this is a big thank you for helping enable all of this to be possible in the first place. And that warms my heart so much. Uh, (laughs) Meetup will always have such a dear place in my heart. Meetup's mission, what I learned about community there. I really fell in love with the mission and culture, but mostly because we did a really good job of getting close to our customers, our organizers and members, and seeing the impact that the companies had on people's lives over the last 20 years is jaw-dropping and amazing. And hearing just your little story, like, on, on one hand, doesn't surprise me, but on the other hand, like, is like the biggest thing I've heard all day or all week. <laughs> I feel like the platform ignited so many gatherings in a way, uh, like aligning people around with their interests or their purpose. And I think to me, that's one of the most special things that you can do. So yeah. the other side is I'm a huge health and wellness geek. I mean, my formal background was in kinesiology and pre-physical therapy. So with Whoa. everything that you're doing at Exos, I'm like, oh, cool. This is such a, an interesting intersection of my deep fascination and passion for community as well as health and wellness. And so I'm just so excited to be in conversation with you about all of those things. Yeah. And and a huge reason I I joined Exos was because I felt spoiled at Meetup working on a mission that I could very clearly see 
It's a positive impact on people's real lives. And I decided I didn't want to give that up again. And, you know, 90% of tech companies, at the end of the day, your impact on lives is getting them to stay in your app or on your site to click like buttons and post and make advertising dollars and collect data about you, you know, for better or for worse. There's a lot of great products out there, but most of them, that's their model and that's what they do. And I really looked around at companies that were human first mm. and where I can very, very clearly in my head, at least draw the line between what I was building and spending my time on and the positive impact on people's real lives. And when you look for a new job and that's your criteria and you're in the tech industry, there's not that many companies <laughs> in my opinion, that you can genuinely talk with. I'd been a big sports gal in, in high school and, and growing up, and it just felt like the perfect fit for me. I saw the mission so clearly, help folks become healthier, more fit, to upgrade their lives, and to really just like unlock that special hero inside them through wellness and holistic health. It's so interesting and rare to see where companies like Whole Mission or Platform is getting people more into, I guess, in-person or, or real life. And so like thinking about mm -hmm. Meetup was like a platform to enable people to gather in person. Excess yep. being like, like you said, people championing their wellness and essentially like doing something in, in real life. That's such an interesting yeah. intersection. Does that drive all of your career decisions? You know, it honestly didn't until Meetup, although kind of the earliest taste I had of working on a product like that did also get me really excited and really into the mission. When I was working for a software product development and design agency, we were actually part of a U.S. company that my team and I were all based in Costa Rica mm -hmm. at the time. We helped build Grindr, the app. Uh, during its first few years of pretty exponential growth. And I saw firsthand, too, how we were using very new technology to help people find one another in real life. Um, and it was kind of part of that initial local social mobile movement. Mm -hmm. I'm probably dating myself, but it was a big buzzword back in the day. We'd get flooded by letters and emails where you know, folks didn't even know that there were other gay people in their tiny town, whether that town was in the Middle East or in a, a small town in a state where they might not even feel safe coming out, right? So it hasn't guided my decisions, but once I realized that made me personally feel fulfilled, I, I'm not the kind of technology person who loves to build things for the technology's sake. I love to build them for the customer and human sake, I realized. So it, it has guided a lot of my decisions since then. I think one of the areas that I've been really excited about is your experience around community and networking. And so I was hoping we could dive into a little bit about your experience at Meetup and the lessons or the insights that you gained around building community and building your network. And so what was your experience like at Meetup? And what did that teach you about building community and building a broader relationship system or network? I learned so much and we could take up the whole time with it, but, <laughs> but I, I, I won't do that to you. You know, in the old, the old saying, like, start as you mean to go on, before my even official first day at Meetup, I attended a uh, tech meetup hosted at Meetup HQ that's in, in Manhattan in New York City. And it was really mind-blowing to me how curated of an event it was. So almost largely all strangers who didn't know one another at this meetup. Uh, it was actually a conference meetup run by, you know, folks who had just been building community at these gatherings for over 15, 15 or so years. The gathering and the programming was intentional and just so authentic and successful at helping, you know, I'm the kind of person who does get energy for brief moments, meeting new people and learning about them and, and hearing about problems they're solving and the successes they've had. And like, I, I really get a lot of energy from especially little smaller kind of meetups and mm -hmm. gatherings. But the intentionality with which was put into this, not even that big of an event, just kind of a run of the mill meetup at Meetup HQ. And we did those events Sometimes I'd go to two or three a week, depending on the time of year, if it was kind of more of a peak season in January and kind of the fall and springtime were big seasons. But just the intentionality with how to create an in-person gathering where people feel like they can meet people, they can be authentic, and the, the tactics with which to do that and, and the orchestration, it was pretty awesome. 
we ran our all hands that way. We ran a lot of our team offsites and meetings that way. Our one of Meetup's co-founders, Scott Heiferman, is just an inspiration, and he's probably the the biggest student on the planet in how to create successful gatherings of of humans in real life. And he was just always learning and, and iterating and trying them out uh, internally. And you know, honestly, none, none of the things were mind blowing, but it's just every little detail put together to create a good experience for folks. And I met a lot of people that day and, you know, you never, like this never actually happens. Whereas an engineering leader who's recruiting engineers, you go to a meetup and you like almost hire someone on the spot. Like that's the dream that never happens. Right. Like (laughs) you always go to these, right. Like you you, you go and it's the long-term play. You're, you're building your network, you're learning, you're kind of brand building for your company, for yourself, even if you're speaking at the event, right? Like you're never going to find someone you're going to hire that day. Like that just doesn't happen, even though your recruiters would, would love for that to be the, the timeline. But it's just kind of that long-term play and you end up having hundreds of people in your network who you met in person and heard about their cool little like React library. They did a tech talk at the like React New York meetup or whatever it is. And, you know, slowly but surely you might hire or work with those people or just keep in touch with them over the years. Well, the the crazy thing about this meetup is I actually met someone that day and hired her like the first day I joined. It was such a successful, successful gathering. I I really appreciate the intention of a lot of those events. Like it's about long-term relationships and that you almost, it's probably the wrong expectation to go in thinking you'll get like a short-term transactional value. In fact, that probably doesn't serve the gathering. Definitely. You mentioned intentionality, you mentioned authenticity, and you mentioned sort of structuring things in a way that are that are intimate as ways to really create valuable gatherings. Are there other principles or elements around the way that you brought people together at Meetup or in some of the different meetup events that you've been a part of? Any ones that have stuck with you today that you try to implement in different, like either different team meeting structures or even different ways that you bring people together outside of work? A couple that are top of mind are, you know, gathering in uh, circles and not rows or tables, right? So it, mm-hmm. it, it sounds kind of silly, but there's a lot of, I don't know what kind of science it is, if it's social science or some other science. Um, I forget the book we read, but Scott had a, a great writer come in who had written a book about the art of the gathering, I think is the name of the oh book. Oh my gosh, and, is this uh, Priya Parker? Yeah, 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 exactly. I'm horrible at remembering names, but yeah, Priya Parker. Oh, this book. is my most gifted book of all time. So I am... Excellent. Yeah, yeah. She came in and did an amazing exercise with all of us where she, you know, she turned our entire hundred and whatever people into a giant circle and helped us create through a series of questions to one another, mainly that she facilitated a safe space where we felt comfortable sharing things we might not otherwise feel comfortable uh, sharing with strangers. And, you know, a space where we just could kind of move and speak with more than more than one person and, and kind of move through the space and do that. It was pretty cool. I just remember like sitting in a giant circle and kind of rearranging and having these series of mind-blowing questions that I felt safe talking about with my colleagues that we never would have talked about with one another before really, really resonated with me. What do you think contributed like to creating that type of environment where you were able to share? Because I'm thinking of like in a lot of settings now where people are trying to maybe surface the best idea and there's like a sense of psychological safety that's needed to be able to exchange either vulnerable ideas or ideas maybe that aren't fully formed but could get to a better end result. Um, Was there anything that you noticed that helped people contribute more authentically or from a more vulnerable place? Yeah, I mean, so like we we sat in a circle on on the floor, number one, and I don't know why, but that got us all into that place. (laughs) But she did a fantastic job of setting boundaries and expectations, talking Mm. about what those were at the beginning. And, you know, this, this wasn't like cheesy trust fall boundary type stuff. It was like legit boundary and expectation stuff that you could even, I don't remember what it is now, but you could, you could even talk about it at the beginning of like your team leadership meetings. And then she just did a a really great job of prompting questions and moving us around and facilitating discussion. 
there's one part that I think about all the time with Priya Parker stuff. You mentioned about everybody sitting on the floor. There, I think she she talks about like great gatherings have like some t- something that's equalizing, and like that whole idea of like everybody sitting down on the floor, like regardless of title or seniority mm-hmm. or whatever. I think is it, because that's something we think about in, in our events all the time. Is when you have people that maybe are heads of engineering, VPs or CTOs meeting with you know engineering managers or senior engineering managers. There's sort of like an inherent hierarchy or perceived hierarchy there. So how do you get people to feel? that there's like a like an equalizing sense where you know people don't feel that hierarchy you can kind of help remove that so i love that practice so much i don't know if yeah. any people introduce seating on the floor at their team meetings but i think that's a great that's a great practice to hear about i'll try it i'll try it for you and let you know how it goes. <laughs> that'd be our, great our next, our next offsite I'll, I'll try to get the team to do it we'll see. <laughs> i think one of the things that was interesting in related to like community building and networking so it was super cool to hear the story about how you met this person at the meetup that you went to and ended up hiring her you know soon after and i think that's like the type of impact and outcomes that people dream about but i know that this again sort of played a role in sort of your recent head of engineering search and so i was wondering if you could talk break down a little bit about that search the process and and what happened and how that became successful yeah yeah so that's probably one of my like humble brag like proudest <laughs> moments of 2021 which is in a distant rearview mirror now i guess which was hiring my my head of engineering. So honestly, everyone said I couldn't do it without a recruiter. Even my head of HR was like, yeah, you know, he gave me great advice. He was like, if you're tapping your network and within three to four weeks, you're not catching any fish, you're not going to catch any fish because you're going to catch most of the fish that, that your network is, you know, has within the first two to three weeks of you, you doing this thing. And he's been around the block and that was excellent advice. And he said, why don't we chat after week four and you can tell me how things are going. And if things, if you're not doing it well on your own, like we're here to support you, you know, we're pretty reliant on third-party recruiters, especially for senior product design and engineering roles. Um, we don't have that in-house capability as much. And he was like, yeah, I'll support you then. So I kind of took that as a, as a mission in a way. And I was like, oh, cool. So I just have to like find all my fish in the first four weeks. Like I'm not a recruiter. I didn't know I had to do that, but he kind of, he kind of planted that seed in, in my head and so I started all the different channels that I that I could kind of market myself and this role just to get people to chat with me. And, you know, I kind of was just loud and proud everywhere I could be and, you know, didn't focus so much on the role, but just focused on me wanting to talk shop with these great engineering leaders. I love doing it anyway, right? I love doing these podcasts with folks like you kind of live and breathe and geek out on this stuff. I took it as a challenge and, you know, between marketing and cross like any channel I could. I sent out lots and lots of one-on-one emails, not mass emails, but like lots of time with one-on-one emails to kind of anyone I could get to just talk shop with me and even tell me like, hey, like, what do you think a great head of engineering would look like or be? And what have you learned? You know, et cetera. Lots of CTOs who I knew were way, way, way too senior for my role, but chatting with them about it helped them think about whether or not they knew anyone in their network. And, you know, honestly, got them a little more invested in my search, right? Like they, they spent half hour or an hour call with me chatting about it. And they were like, actually, yeah, I might know somebody, right? You know, everything from just one-on-one coffees and one-on-one just direct email stuff to lots of Slack channels, ended up interviewing some folks from Slack channels that I personally am a member and participant in and don't really spam with jobs often, but this was the one I was going all in on. Also, you know, obviously like Twitter, LinkedIn. LinkedIn, you know, I'm not bashful. I, I try to target folks who I've never spoken with before. And I do a lot of research. When I find their profile, I might see if they have any blog postings. I might see if they've spoken at conferences. I might see if they have a GitHub repo somewhere, right? Like really trying to better understand them and what makes them tick. And similar to you reaching out to me to say like, hey, I saw your conference talk. I love that topic. Want to talk more? Well, that's pretty much what I do on LinkedIn because I genuinely want to learn more about those topics with folks and grow my network that way. So all the interesting people who I thought might be good for the role or might be someone who would be good for the role sent out, you know, tons of cold LinkedIn's as well, just to expand my network outside of people I knew or people who are part of Slack groups. 
I probably ended up speaking with 40-ish people would be my guess for this role, like generally in 45 minute to an hour long conversations. That was my phase one of, of the search. And from those 40 folks, I probably, I think we ended up doing formal interviews with 10-ish, maybe 12. And even, you know, amongst those 40, they referred me to friends who, you know, who ended up jumping right into an interview process as well. So that network of 40 was probably more like 60. I had three amazing finalists for the role. I felt really fortunate. And that was, you know, about two months later and ended up hiring someone who uh, been amazing. Like what I think differentiated my search too, honestly, is that there were no recruiters involved. Like it was just me. No one reached out to them. There was never a recruiter in the process the entire time. And they got to know me as a manager and their leader. And some people were probably like, no, not so into her. Like, I'll keep moving on. And some people were like, yeah, I would like to work with this person some more. I think it also really helps. And these are senior people who mm-hmm. are doing, you know, whatever they can to understand the leadership team that they'd be working with, right? That's usually a, a top three goal of a senior person moving to a new job. So I, I think it, it naturally does really, really help them better understand what they're getting themselves into and, and feel comfortable with that and the role. And I actually, I brought our CEO into the process early. Uh, Sarah Rob O'Hagan is really well known in the fitness and wellness industry. And several of the folks that I spoke with were really into that industry, right? If you're excited about Exos, you probably have heard a little bit about our coaching of elite athletes and and folks in the sports business, you've probably heard less about our biggest business, which is running corporate wellness and fitness centers for a lot of Fortune 500 companies. But you've also are probably pretty impressed by, by Sarah's profile and her command of the industry over the last 15, 20 years. So I brought her in early on during like pre rounds almost to both sell, but also assess culture fit and values fit. And that was a great part of the process too. So I think it helped people, again, decide, is this really a leadership team I want to work with? And helped really get at the kind of the culture and values of the company from the beginning. There are so many little nuances about this story that I would love to to tease out a little bit because how you were engaging in some of these conversations, the way that you're reaching out to people, I think is so extraordinarily different than how probably most people would approach this at the outset. One of the details that like totally stands out to me is like, this is a really nuanced detail is when you were reaching out to folks and you were asking the question of like, what do you think makes a great VP of engineering? There's a quote, I used to be in sort of the nonprofit space and in one of the jokes or not really, it was kind of like one of those cliche quotes, like pithy quotes that would come out is like, if you ask for money, you'll get advice. But if you ask for advice, then you'll get money. And I've- Fascinating. <laughs> oh my God, I'm always so- awkward and shy about asking for money. And you've just blown my mind right now. <laughs> and so like that, that to me seemed like such a great way to just like engage folks in a way where you're not like, it may be like, yeah, an ideal outcome is like you, you get a candidate that would be a great fit, but just to have the conversation focused on like, you're looking for a good fit. What makes a great VP of engineering enabled or just like it achieve the outcome, but in a way where it's not transactional, it's more of just like you're seeking people's help in a way yeah, that doesn't yeah, put the pressure exactly. on them to exchange in a transactional way. I think you've articulated it better than I have, which I really felt during the whole process. And there's folks who I like re Remet, you know, remet up with for the first time in years. There's folks who I consider part of my network now. Like one person, um, she wasn't, you know, like quite ready to leave her gig yet, but we connected so well that like we've chatted just since and we've been on a panel together. I think what you're nailing is really how it felt to me too. And honestly, like it's why I enjoyed it. I loved recruiting for my head of engineering. I'm not sure you're going to find many people who say that usually it's like super stressful and you can't find someone and it's like the worst time of maybe a leader's uh year when they're looking to hire that like that key person Mm -hmm. but I loved it it was my favorite part of the day because I was meeting these senior interesting folks in an authentic way and I was like really in my flow and I was leaving more energized after the conversations than I started. And, you know, I also have to guess that that's a way better experience for folks to kind of feel themselves than the standard way to get recruited for a gig, you know? Mm -hmm. I I know a lot of folks, like when we 
because in some of our peer groups that we host, like with different heads of engineering and CTOs, like one of the fears that have been expressed to me is around the fear of being spammy or salesy, mm. especially in this kind of context. How do you engage in some of this outreach or these conversations in a way where you're not spammy or salesy? I would love to specifically focus on like specific maybe behaviors or distinctions for when you were reaching out to folks either through a one-on-one email or through LinkedIn Mm -hmm. that you felt like was a behavior that demonstrates like that sense of authentically reaching out versus, you know, here's my role. Do you want to apply? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, a lot of the time I don't even say I have a role because I genuinely like something that I do is just part of keeping me sustainably growing and learning and and happy. And my job is going outside of the four walls of where I work or even the, I don't know, eight walls of the network (laughs) I currently have. Not sure how many walls there are. And, you know, meeting new people in the industry and talking about topics and kind of learning their perspective and experiences. Like I try to do that anyway as a regular thing. This person, David, I met this morning, you know, we had never even met in person before. We've met at some conferences and kind of know of one another. And it was, you know, amazing hour and 20 minute chat so much so that we both had to like run off to meetings we were late for. I do this kind of thing anyway. It definitely gives me energy and gets me into a really cool like flow state personally. So I, I think it's important to deliver on that and that feeling if someone wants that that kind of experience. But like I, I'm pretty clear when I reach out to folks that talking about a topic that they're interested mm-hmm. in, that I'm also interested in, is the goal, the primary goal of the conversation, right? And that might be, you know, I might see that they've used React Native a ton and my team's using React Native now. And like, gosh, can I go deep in tech for like an hour? Because I don't go deep in tech ever as a CTO anymore. Can I go deep in tech for an hour with them and like pick their brain about why, you know, they and their team might love or hate React Native and what problems or solutions they've seen, you know, et cetera. Or it might be like a total cultural talk. Like I love talking engineering and product culture with folks. It could be, it really could be anything. I love learning new things and I learn best talking with people and hearing their perspectives and capturing all those data points to, to learn. So really going out there with that. And yeah, of course, during the conversation, I will bring up, hey, I'm looking for a head of engineering. Like, do you know anything? Do you have any advice? Like, what have you thought of are the best characteristics for someone in that role? Like, what are the gotchas? What are the, mm-hmm. you know, what should I be doing? So again, it's a long-term kind of play, but I think the important thing is to be really upfront with your intention for the chat and to deliver on that in an authentic way and to not BS someone and say, hey, I want to network and then throw a job in their face and a job description, right? Mm-hmm. I usually would wait till the last five minutes and just make sure I got it in at the end. And, you know, kind of kind of went from there. Now, some people I found out really early on in a conversation were looking and open to work and open to the role. And that felt that actually felt weird to me because yeah. here I am doing all these conversations, like looking to network and kind of playing the long term game. And every now and then and, you know, one of the finalists was in two of the finalists were actually in this place. Every now and then I'd come across someone great who like in the first email or within 10 minutes would say like, yeah, I'm totally interested in a gig. Like let's chat more. And that felt, that felt really weird to me, even though that's probably what most people are after in those recruiting conversations. I I love the, the be upfront with your intention, deliver on it. Don't BS someone. And I also can recognize like, if you have like sort of a secondary intention of like, Oh, it'd be great if this topic comes up. And then that topic comes up way early in the conversation. Like I could see how that could be a little bit like, Whoa, I wasn't expecting this. I guess we're talking about this now. Whoa, Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. 
having these conversations, like these types of building relationships with other folks around topics that you're really interested in or want to learn more about, it seemed like it became a really important priority, especially in the context of like trying to find somebody for that role. And to me, I guess I'm reading that this may have been an easier, it may have been easier to prioritize that knowing that building relationships and sharing sort of some of the goals around that would be a way, a pathway to help find that person. But I'm wondering like, how did you carve out time or like defend that time to to have those types of conversations as a priority? Knowing that like, I feel like everybody can come up with every excuse in the book not to have those types of conversations. How did you prioritize that over other things? You know, everyone asks folks that and I, I don't mean to be a jerk about it at all. But if you're a CTO, and you don't have command of your own schedule, and you can't prioritize the time to hire the person who's going to lead the largest number of people in your org, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of, I would kind of turn it around and say, as an executive, how could you not know how to create the time for it and manage it? Now, I guess that said, like tactically, how did I do it? Well, I block off working time on my calendar and I decline meetings when people invite me to stuff that A, I don't want to go to or B, is at a time that I can't. And one thing that I lead top down with with our recruiting teams and people and my hiring managers is I will always move meetings that aren't critical for recruiting, right? So Mm -hmm. recruiting meetings take preference, priority all the time with me. And I try to set that culture from the top with my teams. Recruiting is so hard, right? Talk to any hiring manager in the engineering industry. And it's probably the thing that people's shoulders slump and, you know, they take a deep breath in. And when they talk about it, it's so hard. It's so competitive. Like you can never pay people as much as the fangs when you don't work at one. You lose so many people, so many different ways in recruiting. One way that you could not lose people is by moving them quickly through meeting people and talking with you, right? Like not losing out on timing. And I'm, I'm a huge believer in that. That's one thing we can control, right? We can't control other offers. We can't control the industry salaries. Like, you know, we can't really do a great job of controlling our company's brand perception in the industry, at least on a short-term basis, right? There's so many things like uh, you can't control someone's partner deciding they want to move to another state or country or or whatever. You can't control so many things you can't control in the recruiting process. One thing you can control is always making the time and making sure it is the fastest, smoothest, most well-organized recruiting process that they're going to go through with any other company, right? So that's how I make the time. I just make sure to make the time and I say no to other stuff and let people know, hey, I've got an interview then. Like, sorry, you're Q1 planning meeting that you think is the most important thing on the planet. It's got to wait. Some straight talk, Yvette, I think, especially about the, what are you doing if you're not making the time? I'm hoping that there are some people that needed to hear that. I I very much recognize that I have a lot of power that other hiring managers don't being a CTO. As an engineering manager and a director at a big company, you might not feel like you have that power, but you probably have that power with your peer group who's scheduling most of the meetings with you. And I think if you started talking confidently about declining meetings because of recruiting, they'd probably see the light and be super happy that you're doing a great job getting people through the recruiting pipeline and hiring awesome people that they're working with that they'd, I think they'd come around. Absolutely. And I also appreciate you providing the areas of what you can't control about speed, people, and providing like a really great experience as like key controllable differentiators. Yeah. Like I said, you know, it doesn't even matter who you are, even if you're, even if you're Netflix, you're not going to beat every other company out in every category. But if you're far from able to offer Netflix brand recognition and team size and potential scale and growth opportunity, you know, find the passionate people about your mission and show them that mission and give them a great experience beginning to end so that they can authentically see the people who live and breathe that mission. Like it's, you know, it's one of the best tactics we have as, as leaders. Mm -hmm. I wanted to transition context switch a little bit to more of the digital transformation going on at Exos. Specifically, I know that right now, one of the big areas of your focus is around leading a a pretty big digital transformation. 
And what I found really interesting about it is it's a little bit of a different model than when many other folks I've talked to about digital transformation and what that means in their company, in that Exos is in sort of this transition from a primarily coaching model to more of a digital first orientation. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that, what you're trying to do and what that's been like. Yeah, it's been an amazing learning growth experience for me. I have worked at mostly tech-first companies, either product-led or engineering-led organizations or founder-led, right? But usually product or engineering founder-led. One of the main reasons I joined Exos was, was because we're not a tech company. We are a human coaching company, right? Like we we get people ready for those moments in life that matter to them, right? When you want to be physically, mentally ready for those big, great moments in your life. And that's all about the human side of things. Now, what my team is doing is enabling our amazing coaches to deliver the coaching that helps get folks ready for those big moments, whatever it is, whether you're a parent for the first time and you need to figure out how to balance your mindset and mobility to be able to sleep and stay active and fit to chase a toddler around, like whatever those moments are, right, in your life. But we're building technology that empowers and enables our coaches to do that. But the technology is not the product and it's not why people love us and love our brand and love, you know, love our products and services. So I've really had to go on on a mission of just learning inside and out our, our real business, right? I'm not a coach, but I've learned a ton about what the day in a life of a coach is like. Um, I've learned a ton about the coaching methodology that Exos has been honing with both science and art for over 20 years now. I've learned about how to operate coaching at the scale that we do. We have hundreds of sites worldwide in, in, in Asia, Latin America, the US, Europe, sites with two coaches, sometimes one, to sites with maybe 15 to 20 coaches, a big, you know, a big site that's a big company's headquarters. So I, I, I've had to learn a ton about our business and this new industry for me so that I can meet people where they are and figure out what is the best way to educate folks and empower them through technology and about technology. And, you know, kind of what I mean by that is Exos never had a product design, engineering, machine learning team before, right? A cross-functional team that... Mm-hmm solved problems and delivered business impact through an app. Like that never was even a thing anyone thought about at Exos before, you know, honestly, before we, you know, before I hired an amazing head of product also and head of machine learning and data technology at Exos was kind of what, what I'd refer to more as IT, right? Where engineers and support specialists supported the team with their tools, a lot of internal tools, some kind of one-off products that weren't product-led. They were very much business requirements-led and kind of left to sit and see how they did. But the way that cross-functional product teams work in the tech industry was not even a thing that Exos knew was a topic, Mm -hmm. let alone knew how to deal with it. So I really had to, to learn our people and our business, I made a mistake. When I first joined, I kept trying to tell people how this digital transformation and how cross-functional product teams would work and why autonomous teams with outcomes set as goals were going to delight our customers and really bring customer value way faster than some other methods, right? Like I tried to communicate that in, in slides and, and decks and, and documents and at meetings, no one even knew what I was talking about. I could tell like they wanted to. And, and the amazing thing about Exos is we are a coaching company and coaching is all about a growth mindset. You know, every day there's just like a little incremental improvement that you can do, whether it's, you know, what, you know, what, what, whether it's an improvement with your mobility, an improvement with your strength, an improvement with your mindset and your gratitude and intentions. But what's been an amazing thing for me is that what I didn't have to sell was a growth mindset 
and being open to continuous improvement and change. In fact, one of our values is continuous improvement here. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, and I knew that going in, or at least I I thought I knew that going in, because that's part of what I heard during the interview process. So that foundation was there for me, right? Everyone wanted, was really open to change and learning and, and growing. And I was very, very grateful for that. But I made a mistake and I tried to tell them what it would be like instead of just hiring the people, getting them together, starting to make stuff in the way that culturally and and the way we work, we knew was a winning approach. Once I did that and just stopped telling people and started showing them and involving them, so involving our cross-functional stakeholders and leaders and just now partners in these teams kind of one by one as they were willing and able, right? Like, oh, bringing marketing in, bringing our ops team in, bringing our performance coaching innovation team in, like bringing our site coaches in, bringing in the people who train our thousands of coaches, you know, worldwide into this cross-functional team planning and, and way of working. It wasn't until that happened that we started to really fly from there. And, you know, it's taken some time and we're not there yet. I can tell you digital transformations take a long time. And, you know, I've made some, some mistakes along the way. Like sometimes I'm trying to move too fast and people don't feel included enough. And I have to, you know, realize that I have to meet them where they are. And, but it's been a really great ride. And I feel really fortunate to be working with people who are very willing to listen because there are many digital transformations I've heard about that don't have that. And boy, are they even harder. Absolutely. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what that turning point was like. And if there was any way like you could tell us about like the conversation where you involved everybody in that that planning or kickoff meeting and give a little bit of a little bit more detail behind what that was like, because I think that turning point conversation sounds like it was so powerful once folks got involved and the show versus telling element, I think is super interesting. You know, honestly, I think the turning point was, you know, we started iterating on our products. We started off with a, a web product, just getting something out the door, shipping mobile apps to our customers. But the, I think the biggest turning point was how important I thought it would be and how easy it was of a sell to the team to get everyone to use our products, right? So one of our products, think of it as the ability to take your coach in your pocket and an app anywhere you go, right? So companies uh, hire us to run their in-person wellness and fitness centers, and folks get assigned a coach there. And we're a holistic coaching company, right? So we're coaching not only someone's training and mobility, but also we have a lot of registered dietitians on staff. We do a lot of mindset coaching with people to reduce burnout and stress. And All of these things are exactly what employees of Exos would need as well, right? So Mm -hmm. so a big turning point for us was to stop just kind of like telling people how to work and what these products would look like and be, but actually getting us to dog food our own products. You know, we have a few coaches who are assigned to just coaching Exos employees. And that's, um, we think, a differentiated employee benefit that we have right now. We have live classes people can take throughout the day. They can chat with their coach at any minute. They get customized, personalized programs based on their their goals from taking onboarding assessments and discussions with their coach. So they get training plans, they get game plans, they get mindset and, and nutrition and recovery practices. All in the products that we're building for our customers, we're just treating ourselves like another customer. And that was a big turning point because they could see how the product was evolving and they could see how the process we were using, the very iterative, very digital first, very foreign process to these folks, they could actually see it happening so they were using the product themselves. So I think that's been like a huge game changer for us. I think that turning point is such a powerful illustration of how to make that transition and so that the transformation doesn't come in a PowerPoint presentation, but it's an involving people in the transformation itself. So thank you for helping us get a little bit of a glimpse behind the curtain into what's going on. You got it. We've got a, a couple rapid fire questions to close things off if you are ready. Cool. Yeah, let's do that. 
What are you reading or listening to right now? So I'm more of a reader than a listener, although I'd like to be more of a listener. I read tons of engineering articles. I love just short form learning about the industry. I've been really driving the, the kind of gossipy nature of the pra Pragmatic Engineers blog and newsletter that he sends out. A couple of my go-tos, Oren Ellenbogen, I'm not sure if I pronounce his name right, produces a Software Leads Weekly that I've just been a, a big fan of reading for a really long time. Patrick Kwa has a Level Up um, newsletter that he puts out every week. And I'm usually inundated by those. But a big thing that I'm also trying to do because I've taken on leading product for the first time in a big organization like this is I'm really trying to dive into learning more outside my walls about product. And so Lenny's newsletter, product guy I used to work at Airbnb, I found to be a goldmine of very practical practices and a community, great Slack community as well for learning about product and product concepts and tactics. Those are a lot of the folks that I've been reading lately. Some great recommendations. I mean, I have to like uh, plus one all of them just to give it a little time capsule to when you and I are having this conversation. Because when you mentioned the pragmatic engineer, I've been following like the thread of that on Twitter, like deeply. <laughs> Totally. But just for everybody listening, and we're recording this kind of right in the middle of the like Twitter sort of restructuring, firing, reorientation situation, and then also like the FTX drama. So all of those things are popping up on that. Yeah, thread. it's like my engineering culture, like soap <laughs> opera right now that, that I'm following through the pragmatic engineer who does a great job of having authentic conversations with people on the inside and telling everyone about it. I'm like, how the heck does, is he getting all that insight? Like it's... He, like, <laughs> you know, he, he worked at Uber and Skype and, you know, Microsoft and other places. You know, my, my guess is he's just a real authentic guy who people trust because he seems to have inside information about every single company that you yep. could imagine. It's you know, <laughs> kind of baffling. Like he's definitely picked an interesting second career um, from leading up Uber's like mobile and driver app. Absolutely. And if anybody is listening that is interested in Substack, Substack did a great like deconstruction of the pragmatic engineer as like a newsletter case study on Substack. Anyway, cool. geeking, out, geeking out about the about the great newsletters. I love it. What tool or methodology has had a big impact on you? Tool or method, you know, like one of the first things that comes to mind, this isn't really a methodology. It's something I use almost every week because it's an area of growth of mine, especially earlier in my career. But I had a coach, Laura Hogan, you might've heard of, once tell me that I needed to do a better job of trusting, but verifying. Mm. And that's a that's just a tiny little framework and tool that I remind myself of every week, probably, which for me, I tend to empower my teams and I over empower and I think I over trust and I, I love to delegate. I hate to micromanage. If I'm micromanaging, you're in a really bad place, probably. But I've often gotten burned and just not done my job as well as I could and not been not shown up as a great leader because I trusted without verifying, right? I've trusted maybe just one data point without verifying with others. I've trusted without verifying some of the details myself. So that's just something like a tool, little, little methodology thing I, I use all the time. What is a trend you're seeing or following that's been interesting or hasn't hit the mainstream yet? You know, honestly, I can't really think of something that it hasn't hit the mainstream yet, but I'm kind of angry that this thing isn't the total mainstream yet, which is product engineers who are true full stack engineers. I still see so many job postings out there for front end engineers and mobile engineers and back end engineers. And the last two companies and, and at Meetup, we moved in this direction too. We've leveled people up to being able to take a story and work with a product manager and designer on their own and take it beginning to end and launch it, right? And, and whether or not that's building on top of an AWS infra or writing a Lambda or a GraphQL resolver or an API or writing the front end code or CSS or updating your design system libraries, like being able to empower an engineer with the training and the tools to be able to own something beginning to end, it's not only great for them, but it's also great for teams shipping, right? Like I, I don't know how folks work anymore 
where you're like waiting for the back end team or waiting for the front end team for something. And like, it just sits there on a Jira board and people are like, well, we're waiting for that team to write that code. That'll get our, I don't even know how people do that anymore. So like, I'm actually shocked. Like it's, it isn't the mainstream way to do things because I've just seen how excited it makes engineers also excited. It makes people like me who watch customer impact. The the psychological effect of taking something from beginning to end is definitely, seems definitely understated. I think that's a, a great observation. Two more quick questions. What's been one of the most meaningful in-person experiences that you've had with your team, company, or otherwise? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. And I've had so many because I've happened to work at places where that really matters. But I'll tell you, when I was interviewing at Meetup, at the time, I had one of those about me pages up, and I'm pretty sure they read it because I didn't have that much personal stuff up on the internet for good reason. I don't even think I remembered I had an about.me page. But at the end of the process, they invited me to have dinner in the backyard of the CFO and founder, along with the exec team. And they had a chef come in and cook an amazing meal. And we sat in the backyard together talking for three or four hours that night, a group of, I don't know, six or seven of us. And I still remember some of the topics we talked about. And, you know, that was clearly their way to try to sell me on the job and get me to say yes. And it totally worked. I never (laughs) really had an opportunity to meet an exec team I'd be working with. Like, in that intimate, again, like you're going to hear me say authentic a lot, but in that kind of intimate way and and get to know them and see the picture of whether there would be paradise on the other side of things. So uh, that's always stuck with me as like a total baller move that I've been really (laughs) impressed with ever since. And it, it wasn't like fancy and dramatic. It was just totally the right thing with the right person and super baller. So on your about.me page, was there like my happy place is like a backyard barbecue sort yeah, of yeah. environment? Thanks for connecting that. So so, so <laughs> I, on my page, it, it, it said something to the effect of like, I, I love nothing more than a great meal um, with friends and family. And I, I think I talked about how my wife was a great cook and we had dinners all the time. And clearly like they, they were smart about that. Oh, man, I love that so much. I mean, that yeah. goes back to what you were talking about with your approach with reaching out to folks on LinkedIn is like, it so matters seeking to understand who that person is, what they yes. value, what they care about, and like really genuinely, authentically bringing those things up or making them a core part of that experience. I love that story so much. Yep. All right. Last question, Yvette. Is there a quote or a mantra that you live by or maybe a quote that's really been resonating with you right now? Ah, this is a really good one. Well, I've always been pretty obsessed with failing fast. And I think I tried to coin failing forward at one point. I'm not sure I did or or if someone else did it and I stole it. But just, you know, constantly talking, thinking about, you know, how can we fail quickly and learn and apply it and keep going? I love it. A great way to wrap us up and close off our conversation. Yvette, just wanted to say thank you for sharing some incredible stories and also making the experience of networking and community building more, I think, graspable, a little bit less spammy, a little bit more authentic and to help support people in something that could otherwise be this big sort of Herculean effort. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Yeah, thank you. This is this has been great. You know, our performance coaches and scientists at Exo say that when you're in a flow state, time flies and you don't even realize it, right? (laughs) And that's how I felt today. I think I definitely got there. So thanks for that. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.